Working with the water non-Aboriginal community and working with our own community together allows us to start eating. In the past, you know, people know who they are and that type of thing, but there hasn't been something there to bring everything together, to bring people together, and Native Title has done that. Welcome to Aboriginal Way, produced by South Australian Native Title Services. I'm your host, Isaac Selby. And before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting today from Radio Adelaide on Ghana land. So I'd like to pay my respects to Ghana elders past, present and emerging. Each episode, we share First Nations stories and native title news from across South Australia. Let's get started. You're listening to Aboriginal Way. Ahead of the upcoming state and local voice to Parliament, we are going to be doing a little bit of information to make sure anyone that is eligible wanting to vote, wanting to nominate, is able to access and and know about all of the different ways that they can get involved with the process. We figured there was probably no one better to come and join us than the Commissioner for First Nations Voice, Mr. Dale Aegis. Thank you for coming on the program. No worries. Great to be here. Thank you for having us on. It's currently a couple of couple of months out before the um, before the votes close, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what stage we're at currently with this upcoming voice, and also some of the ways that someone who might be listening in who hasn't been fully in the loop might be able to catch themselves up to speed if they were looking to get involved. Yeah, sure. So um, currently up to around three of our statewide engagements. Um, so this round focuses on um, the nomination phase and the voting phase. So the first two, of course, consisted of getting some background from community in terms of their thoughts on how a model could actually work in practice and also supporting that with some legislation. Um, that, of course, then proceeded through the, the parliament process. And we had a, an open ceremony um, led by the Premier and the Attorney-General through the steps of parliament and the executive signing of the legislation. Um, and then, of course, I go into this sort of process now to go to the nomination and voting phase. Um, so I'm doing a statewide engagement, stopping into a lot of regional communities, speaking to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people out there, um, giving them the information, the background and some of the details of um, the regions, how nominations actually work. Um, we're supporting the nomination process through the Electoral Commission. Um, they're also doing some engagements too, so watch out for myself going around in stage three for the nominations and voting, but also watch out for the Electoral Commission also doing their information sessions with nominating um, and also some of the voting stuff coming up. We came along last week to one of the Ghana information sessions that were, were held and it was good to see quite a few people out there. You know, I, I don't know how you were feeling, but there, there's probably been a bit of uncertainty in the air following the result, the federal result with the referendum. Is it been... Um, yeah, have you been had a lot of people coming up with like kind of a renewed engagement to some of these sessions so far? And have you been able to see people, you know, getting the wheels in motion in terms of putting together their own nominations? Yeah, sure. Look, I'm not too sure if it's renewed at the moment. I no. think a lot of our communities are still working through and thinking through what the result of the referendum actually is and means for us as Aboriginal and Torres Strait peoples, of course, of our of our country. Yeah. Um, and of course, what this sort of does is allows us to talk through. I don't know, a possible policy step that could help our people get a platform to speak for their communities um, on a range of matters and issues, but also importantly, their aspirations for what they look to achieve in the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, working alongside, of course, decision makers and having a chat with them about the issues that are really happening in their communities in a non-politicised way. 
um, that they can speak generally from a community issue base and then have politicians within the parliament discuss those matters and just and sort of work out how they address those matters but also go through i guess a conversation with the parliament and give um, the state first nations voice feedback on how that actually works um, when what they intend to do in terms of delivering policy um, initiatives and, and legislation to support our communities which arguably probably hasn't been done too well um, was the feedback that uh, the communities are giving me is they're, they're feeling a little bit frustrated and languishing in terms of keeping up to speed with with what's happening with the rest of society um, and I guess that goes to the point of you know there's some well-intended and well-meaning people in parliament and government and community who um, who really want to see Aboriginal people achieve um, but the data tells us and the evidence tells us is that something isn't working um, the feedback loop is not in sync with our community and we need to do something different and having the voice of these representatives could potentially change that so I guess that's the conversation in terms of where we're at post-referendum looking at the uh, the session that we've been running so far is <laughs> the one that we did in Adelaide of course was was a hot day and I, I was thinking gee we would like to get five or ten people here for this one um, and of course it was the first one back <laughs> coming back from leave yep. um, first one back for our you know our community to be back here talking about the business and we had over 30 people attend that's great numbers great numbers it just sort of showed an element of hope you know an element of um of you know people being resilient and still showing up uh, I, was, I was rather impressed and i'm so happy to see them um and you know we will talk through some of the stuff and in terms of the information with the the model and the nominations and the voting process and just you know it's almost like a, a possible positive outcome that could come from this process and um, you know i've asked them to envision themselves what would it be like if they were to nominate how could they see themselves in the local regional voice how could they see themselves in a state voice um, and also ask them to see could they see those people representing our communities engaging with parliament and decision makers and to ask them officially that question to see their faces and to them to hear them say yes we can imagine that happening and we're so happy that this process is happening um was just great to see i was wondering you, you touched on it briefly there if you could just give another distinction of the difference between uh, the the local voice the state voice member and the state voice joint member as well and the different roles that those different uh, positions play yeah sure so it's basically a, a two-tier system right so we've got the the regional voice which is um, the six regions across the state um, so when you go to nominate you'll be nominating to be a regional nominee in the regional bodies um, and of course those regional bodies across the six regions will engage with their communities talk to um, local schools local health services local police stations local hospitals um, local elders um, and really get a sense of what's happening in the local level in those regions to put forward what the matters are that need to be addressed from there the local body will select two co-chairs what we've got strong feedback on is it should be gender balanced so one male one female um, co-chair um, of course so six regions two co-chairs equals 12 so there'll be a composition of 12 to formulate the state voice um, that state voice which has representatives from each of those regions then under the power of the legislation has um, some authority to um, engage in the parliament 
um, and that's through a series of steps in terms of um, tabling an annual report, reviewing legislation which impacts on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities here in South Australia, um, meeting with the Premier and his Cabinet twice a year, meeting with the Premier and, his, and the Chief Executives twice a year, the Government Chief Executives, and also doing an annual engagement hearing to wrap up, to get a solid sense on you know, what's happening in a coordinated response between the government of the day and the lead chief executives of each agencies and what they're doing collectively to address our issues. So that's how it works in, I guess, in, in a basic over, overlay. And then of course we have the four committees that sit and, and report into the, the state voice, which of course is the native title um, advisory group, the stolen generation advisory group, the elders advisory group and the youth advisory group. So those groups will come in and be part of the consultation processes with the representatives? So so the local regional voice will be dealing with local issues, the co-chairs dealing with the state issues, and then those four groups will report into the state voice for the state voice members to raise in parliament. Gotcha. In terms of, I feel like with this type of thing, you get a lot of outside attention. Sometimes you get scrutiny through media, that type of thing. Um, you get a lot of people excited. In terms of some of the interactions happening outside of South Australia. Who, who's looking in at the moment? Are you having conversations still with um, the federal government on this level or you know, even people outside of Australia that might be interested in how this type of modelling might work? Yeah, look, of course, the, uh, the big one is the referendum. Um, I've got no doubt the, that we've got um, federal elected members who are watching what's happening in South Australia. Yeah. Um, there's, there's probably also those... Um, elected members in other states in terms of MPs who are also watching what's happening in South Australia. Um, this is definitely on the national radar across all our federal government, all state governments across our country. Um, I'm having conversations, of course, with Victoria, with Queensland, with Tasmania, also in Northern Territory and, and over in WA in terms of what we intend to do with our voice model here, how it could help Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people sit at the table and talk to elected members to give them guided advice on what's happening with communities but also internationally you know this is something that's being watched through the spectrum of the international platform um, i've met with the new zealander representative um, the uk consulate and also the um, of course the u.s ambassador caroline kennedy who's come over for a chat just to talk about how important it is for native groups to have a mechanism to engage with high level representatives of decision making of course in her world that's to the president of the united states and she works out how um, indian americans can have a mechanism to engage with the the united states government pretty much what you know we're trying to hear federally and she's just sort of, sort of reinforced the importance of hearing those those people's views and perspectives and aspirations and to bring them to the table when decisions are being made that impact you know their way of living um that's really a no-brainer um, yep. but it seems to be it seems to be a hard a hard concept to grasp here at the moment which is kind of a little bit frustrating um you know I'm having conversations like this of course which is very helpful for people to get an understanding of um i think wasn't played out too well in our recent debates it's um yeah it's hard to see how you know the the negative um energy people bring into this can can bring things down and also, yeah, good and optimistic to hear you talking about then, you know, the potential for a successful essay voice to, to affect a lot of positive change, not just here, but, you know, like you're speaking globally as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, of course, the, 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 the Sami people have a, have a similar model already in place in, in their country to give 
um, you know, native Sami people were voiced in their parliament. So this isn't a model that's sort of not in place anywhere else. It's a model we're trying to replicate here in, in our state. Um, and it's something that the engagements here have told me that our people are interested in, in engaging in. And um, we're showing up and having conversations about that. And now they're thinking about nominees, which is very exciting. For people that were curious about some of the processes that led to South Australia establishing the voice ahead of a lot of the other states, what would you be able to provide in terms of maybe a bit of a timeline and then also, yeah, some of the reasons why it did um, it did happen earlier than, than or anyone at this stage? Yeah, sure. So, of course, many of the listeners out there will be familiar with the um, good, long-standing and very respected commissioners, um, past commissioners who have done great service for our community um, in terms of putting forward views of our communities um, to, to decision, make, decision makers in government and also to those who have the levers of control within the public service um, and also connecting with the, um, the community service sector and the NGO sector and the ACO sector. So what we've got, you know, in terms of where we are in South Australia is moving from an independent commissioner and also an, an advisory body which is confidential advice to these people without no public accountability or public scrutiny. The feedback we got from our community was that we needed to open up these curtains and let's see what's behind um, these conversations and see how decisions are being made. And that's the, I guess, the process of what The Voice can do. And then what we know is um, the previous commissioner, Dr Roger Thomas, um, engaged in a conversation with our state to talk around a representative body bill um, which was the previous Liberal government, Liberal government approach. Um, what happened during that process is the Liberal government invited um, him as an independent representative of our community to go and table his report in Parliament. Um, so probably the first time that an Aboriginal representative has been invited into the House of Parliament and to provide an independent report based on our community issues and being tabled in the House of Parliament. There's, a, of course, a video clip of this happening. Um, it happened around 2018. Um, so, so some time ago, yeah, I'm surprised at how many people haven't actually seen this video. Um, but what it demonstrates is the way that you can engage the feedback from our communities in the parliament process. It's authentic, it's clear, it's concise, it's guided, um, it's helpful. Um, and during that 2018 process, I guess, um, our parliamentarians of our South Australian parliament have been familiar of hearing the views and perspectives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. What we have moved to now is moving into a model which formalises that procedure, where there's now the opportunity for a formal process of the incoming um, elected nominees of our, current, of our current election to formulate their state body through their co-chairs and for them to have the opportunity to present and speak in Parliament directly to decision makers and the parliamentarians um, around current day issues, what's happening for our communities. Um, so this has been, you know, for South Australia, working in sort of side-by-side timeline with the previous discussions of the regional dialogues, you know, going back over six to 10, probably 15 years in South Australia alone. Um, so it's not unusual to our current parliamentarians to know what the procedure is of hearing directly from our communities who are represented from our communities and hearing directly their views on how to change things for the better. That's the, I guess, the underlying principles of what we're trying to do here. Um, and I guess our parliamentarians have thought, well, you know what, this is something that they need to do something um, with bipartisan support. 
and up until the most recent, um, I guess, moving of the First Nations Bill, it had got bipartisan support up until that moment. Um, we're hoping that if the incoming nominees of the, the body demonstrate, as I'm very confident they will, that the, the notion of the principles to hear directly from Aboriginal communities are very worthwhile, that any incoming government would support the ongoing conversation with those representatives for the next three, four, five, six terms of government, regardless on who holds government at that, at that time. I suppose it comes back down to the, the the core moving principles behind the you know the enshrining of voices on the federal level and trying to get these things established is so that they can kind of sit above the the dueling political powers that be at the time. And you know, it's, it's I've always found it interesting looking into the history of a lot of these ideas and a lot of these models and how much bipartisan mm. support they had on both sides. I feel like a lot of people don't know that or don't think about that mm. when, um, you know, when it becomes this, you know, hotbed political issue of the time. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of groundwork, a lot of effort, um, a lot of leadership in this area for some time. You know, we've had several leaders in the community sector, several le- leaders in the um, Aboriginal community sector, several leaders in the government and public sector, community sectors who said that the mechanisms that they have to work with feel like they're still hamstrung with what they need to present for our communities. Um, This is a way to loosen that up a little bit and to give our communities some some leverage and some freedom um, to speak with um, connected authority and connective um, being authentic with our community issues to this mechanism that makes that is the parliament that makes decisions and the reason they want to do it this way is because they wanted to inform the parliament but also because they wanted to inform the the greater south australian community um, people wanted to know what's happening with our issues across all south australia um, you know with 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 all members of south australia um, to to really hear what's happening from the ground up not this top down middle down lockdown whatever you want to call it approach which was almost um, hamstrung the, you know, the views of our communities for so long, it's time to open those up. Um, and I'm hearing the frustration on both sides. If all members of the public are frustrated, you normally change things, right? Um, but it's here and we've got a moment and an opportunity to, to implement something for our people to have a, a crack out and a go out and to work with and alongside decision makers, of course, because that's what it is. It's a mechanism that sits alongside them at the table presenting their perspectives and their issues and their matters and their aspirations and saying this is what it is from our side how are you political parties going to come together to work through it with us if you've just joined us we're chatting with dale just commissioner to the first nation's voice to south australian parliament for people wondering about timelines in terms of after the um after the you know the votes have been given out and the the people have been nominated and then um become representatives when do they get to work and what do what did their engagements look like along along the way as far as, as modelling goes at this stage? Yeah, sure. Great question because I'm hoping there's a lot of people out there who are very excited about the opportunity to nominate. Yeah. Um, equally, um, our community should be very excited about the opportunity to vote for the representative who they think will be able to speak for their communities. Um, so what will happen is, um, of course, the, the nomination phase is currently open. So for those who are interested, please get your nomination forms into the Electoral Commission office. Um, they will screen it and um, provide you some advice before the closing date. The closing date is, of course, around the, the 12th of February. Um, so get your uh, um, nomination in by then. Then, of course, we have a two-week 
phase where the Electoral Commission will be re- reviewing the nomina- nominations. And then we have early voting opening up on the 4th of March to the 12th of March. Um, then, of course, voting day is on the, the weekend of the 16th of March. So please show up and get your vote across on those timelines, particularly on the 16th of March, show up and, and vote for our representatives. Then what will happen is, of course, there'll be almost what we're calling a state convention where the government will bring together the elected members to talk through um, some of the stuff you're asking around, you know, who are the regional members, who are the co-chairs, who are the state voice representatives, and then also what are the expectations of some of these roles. Um, I've also got a nomination handbook out, which is um, a nomination um, information book for those who are interested to see what some of the details of being a representative will entail. So you'll probably meet around four to six weeks every year if you're on the regional voice as a collective i'm sure you'll be doing more individual meetings and community meetings throughout the year to speak and have a feedback feedback loop to our communities if you're on the state voice you will also be meeting another four to six times a year and if you're a state voice member who speaks at the parliament then you could be speaking in parliament once a year meeting with the premier and meeting with the chief executives also maybe another twice a year so you know if you're a member of the regional voice say five meetings there and meeting a a member of the state voice five meetings there there's 10 meeting with the premier and his executives there's two meetings so there's 12 in total then meet with the premier and the ministers potentially another two there's 14 meetings um throughout the year um so not a lot but it's going to be heavy going for these representatives, particularly to keep in touch and keep the feedback loop with their communities, have a mechanism to have continuous meetings as a state voice member and be up to date with current issues. Um, and then, of course, understanding the movements and the timelines of Parliament and the Cabinet to, to lock in and, and be sure of what those dates are, but also be across what the information is and across the briefings um, that are given to members of the Parliament and of the Government which some of those we'll have access to and some, of course, we won't. Um, but at least we had a raise of issues in Parliament. So that's the, that's the expectation. I know there's a lot of excitement out there for members who are keen to nominate and feel like they've got it in them to do that. And I'm very excited about that. Um, but if, for those who are unsure, we've got the, the feedback and what we've, what we've designed is the opportunity for youth, elders, men, women, community members, grassroots, um, NGO sector, public sector, if you're Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, you can nominate um, and you've got something to offer. Um, and I'm sure when you get to be elected, don't think you can do it because I know you can do it. Um, once you've got those people around you who will be able to support you, um, our mob will, will work out how it's done and I'm sure that they will go through a very authentic and clear process with whoever nominates and that they'll do a good and ethical sort of task on presenting our issues to the parliament and that's what our community is excited for because that's what's built in the in the legislation in the code of conduct in the opportunity to nominate and what the expectations are and the feedback we've got for community so it's it's very exciting times for us i want to wish you the the best of luck with it i know it's been a long process over the last couple of years and you've um you've yeah, you've probably relayed a lot of this information to to probably thousands of people out there over <laughs> the uh, over the last little while. So we do appreciate you coming in to to run through some of the um yeah some of the key bits of information before this upcoming uh, election.
no worries thanks for having us and uh no, and for the community out there, um, look forward to seeing you all out um, to, on polling day on March 16. SA Voice, here we go, eh? <laughs>